Welcome to the Max Finance Podcast, where a certified financial planner and personal finance geek discuss how to make intentional financial decisions that maximize your money and achieve your goals. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Max Finance Podcast. Today, we are going to be chatting about restricted stock units, otherwise known as RSUs, in a form of equity compensation. It's very typical for public companies. Um, but in this episode, I'd love to, to do three things. Uh, number one, I'd like to get the definition of what an RSU is, uh, why somebody would, would receive that. Uh, number two, I'd like to talk about perhaps some of the mechanics of how that works paired with some of the definitions, sort of building block along the way. And then number three, talk more about potential strategy, maybe not every way of looking at it, but common ways to think about it and maybe the pros and cons around that. Um, anything I'm missing, Lauren, on this one? No, that's that's a lot. So if we cover those in one episode, I think uh, we'll be good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, maybe just starting foundationally, uh, in your view, why, like, what is an RSU in your words? Yeah. Good question. I think you mentioned it. That the RSU stands for restricted stock unit. Um, now, I didn't look up the definition of a restricted stock unit, but uh, it's, I'm, it's, it's, it's stock that you receive as part of your employment. And I think the restriction comes from, perhaps the vesting component yeah the vesting component right so <laughs> typically when you join a company what's common it maybe is you you have a certain amount that vests over a certain time period so what's common maybe it's like a four year time period um and so you you know it's, it's a total amount and so if you want it vests over some time period um and so it's, it's part of that employment. And as soon as you stop uh, working there, uh, that stock will stop vesting. And vesting essentially means you have ownership over it. You legally own it. Um, and there are still probably some restrictions of, of when you can sell it. Um, usually at a, at a working for a public company, there's particular kind of trading windows that you can use. Um, we can talk more about that, but there's sorts of limitations. But essentially, it's, it's stock that, that you receive over time. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of high level, what a restricted stock unit and it's, it's, you know, depending on what company you work for or what kind of your role is it, um, you know, it could make up a, 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 just a kind of a small portion of your total compensation or as you increasingly kind of get into, you know, maybe more senior levels within a company, um, it can be, you know, uh, the majority of your compensation, uh, for, for, for an individual. Yeah, and this is quite common for the tech, startup, and adjacent uh, fields. I, I don't, I don't know of too many other fields that are doing this, other than folks that may be in executive roles or higher kind of C-suite, uh, you know, director plus plus levels. Uh, maybe more traditional companies they might have restricted stock, uh, which is a close cousin of restricted stock unit. Um, and so, as you're mentioning, this is really the golden handcuff, uh, the reason that they don't just give you the stock outright or give you a cash bonus uh, or, 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 you know, there's that third, you know, folks will likely have a base salary and maybe have a, a cash bonus and then they'll, you know, 
potentially have the the restricted stock unit, the equity comp piece of their total compensation. And so this is, I think, uh, a, a weapon in the retention arsenal of some some companies that are, um, you know, really trying to 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 retain talent. And and one way of doing so is through offering a restricted stock unit. So that's uh, I think predominantly why. Uh, folks would 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 be receiving this in the first place. They'd be probably working in a field that, uh, um, again, is 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 highly sought after. So, uh, yeah, I would I would point out two things, and and I guess one is I wouldn't I don't think it's just a re- part of retention. It's part of attracting too. It's it's compensation, sure. right? So yeah, I think yeah. it's um, a piece of compensation, right? Um, or you know, a part which and compensation is really just a part of everything that a company offers in exchange for employment. So there's obviously other kind of benefits and perks. Um, but compensation is usually a very large part of that for, for many people, and, and RSUs can be a large part of that compensation. And the second one is you mentioned kind of the companies that offer these things. Um, I would clarify that it's usually not a, a startup company. When I, when I think of startup, I think of early stage company, a company that... Um, you know, maybe pre-revenue or certainly, you know, not, not profitable. Um, so I think companies that, that offer RSUs are, are either, um, either they're public, meaning their, you know, their stock is, um, available for trading on something like the New York stock exchange. And so it's very liquid stock. You can buy it and sell it anytime. Or we can talk maybe a little bit about this, but which is a much later stage private company. So companies who, um, you know, have been around for a while, they've probably raised a lot of money, but um, they're sort of like a household name, at least maybe within a certain industry. And they're not yet public, but, you know, they are maybe likely to go public in the next two to three, four years. Um, and so there are some challenges with with that because obviously those they, it's not so easy to sell those things and again we can try to talk about um, what what kind of options uh, employees in in that situation have but yeah typically I think you know usually public companies or companies that are um, hopefully soon to go public. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I guess how would you characterize those companies when I I guess when I hear tech. I, I think about just just software enabled, um, but there are company there are companies that are um, maybe yeah. I'm trying to figure out the best way to characterize it, but but there are companies out there that are that used to be st- however you characterize a startup, but are not predominantly tech oriented. If that makes sense, um, I, well, I'm yeah. thinking like like maybe direct to consumer brands uh, mm-hmm. comes mm-hmm. to mind that. I mean, they also offer equity compensation and, and uh, yeah, very similarly to, to what we were describing. So I guess, yeah, I, I don't want to be too exclusionary in, in that sure. definition. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, you can almost, we can talk about quote unquote tech companies that claim to be tech companies that maybe are not so tech companies. I'm currently watching uh, We Crashed, which is uh, follows, uh, you know, uh, the WeWork uh, kind of rise and fall, which is an interesting kind of parallel or, you know, maybe example of a company that claims to be a tech company. And I'm sure they definitely offered RSUs at some point, even before um, going public. And again, that's common, I think, for a late stage company. Um, but I think, you know, maybe one of the reasons we can talk about why do companies offer RSUs and why do they or provide them instead of just, you know, more cash, like salary. Um, and I think the primary reason is that it's it's easier because they don't have to come up with cash to pay for to pay for it right and so if you, th- if you think about a, a company who 
you know, may not have a lot of cash on hand or they choose to uh, reinvest all of their free cash flow into you know, growth of the company, right. Into hiring more people into business. Like they may not have a lot of excess cash. And so what they can do though, maybe, you know, maybe the company is worth, you know, something has a, you know, large market cap, they can centrally um, issue new stock, right? So they um, can dilute existing shareholders and issue new stock and they can do that very easily. Um, whereas if they had to provide cash and they don't have that much cash, they would have to have a, I guess a secondary public offering after like, you know, after they do initial public offering and they create a bunch of stock and they sell it, they have a bunch of cash, but if they run out of cash, then they need to do another one of that, which is, I don't know, not so common or easy. I think it's much easier just to basically create more shares and, and to give those shares to employees. So I think it's a way for companies to, to compensate their employees without having to, um, you know, come up with the cash themselves. And, mm -hmm. you know, for the employees, if they get stock in a public company, it is almost as good as cash. Like it, they can sell it on the stock market. And again, there's some limitations as to when they can sell it. And obviously subject to the, the price or, you know, the, what the market bears for that, for that stock. And then, um, but for the most part, it's as good as, as cash. Yeah. Great points. Very good points. So, so maybe we'll talk about, um, how it works. So you're, You've got, like you were talking about, you you as part of your uh, onboarding and, and and offer, you receive this document that says you get uh, X amount of shares that vest over. Let's pick a common vesting schedule. Maybe you've got four years, uh, and in order to receive this stock, you have to be there for the four years. And each year, perhaps it maybe they have a one year cliff where you have to work there before you receive any, and then maybe after that, you've got a quarterly vest, which is pretty common. Um, and uh, and then from there, you start to receive some of the stock, but not all at once. Um, and these are this is stock that you receive. I mean, this is a you're receiving common shares in in the company, just as you're saying, right? Yeah, so I think um, I think yeah. Usually, a typical thing is maybe they'll they'll give you a total dollar amount. Actually, so usually they don't talk about number of shares. So it's usually a total dollar amount. Yeah, vests over a certain amount of time. So, for instance, let's say it's maybe a hundred thousand dollars vesting over four years. You think you'd you'd want to think of that as twenty five thousand dollars per year, right? And so you kind of want to add that to whatever your sort of base salary is, and that's more or less what your total compensation is. And you know, obviously, there's some other things that you might consider when evaluating job offers, such as like four one k matching or employee stock purchase plans and other benefits and stuff. But essentially, it's over four years. Um, and when I say that they don't quote in shares, it's because um, they quote a dollar amount and um, they don't know exactly what the stock price is going to be at the time that this kind of grant is is kind of finalized. Um, and so there's a little bit of variability there. But um, I think typically it's they, they usually use a price that is some sort of average over some 14 or 30 day window of when your grant is finalized, which unfortunately is usually a few months after you join and subject to like quote unquote board approval. It's a kind of a formality, but so unfortunately you don't really know exactly what price you're going to get or how many shares you're going to get. But, um, you know, it's, it's a certain dollar amount that is converted to number of shares based on some sort of average stock stock price. Um, and yeah, you mentioned the vesting period, which I think is pretty important because, you know, while I say the 
RSUs are as good as cash. They're not always because if if there is something like a, what's called a cliff, which is like a one year cliff means you don't get you don't receive any unless you stay for at least one year. If you leave after eleven months, you'll get nothing. So, you know, obviously, if that's not as good as cash, because if you had a much higher amount of you know if you if you got that all in salary, you would receive that because you get paid every month or every two weeks or whatever. So, that can be uh, something you need to watch out for. And so, some companies have a one year cliff. Um, and then, yeah, they vest kind of quarterly afterwards. Um, and then, you know, some other companies don't have cliffs. They might start vesting every quarter just from the very beginning. Some companies just vest every six months and don't really have a cliff. But, you know, again, every six months is sort of like you're facing sort of a six-month cliff every six months, right? Like if you if, if something vests today um, and then you, you leave five months later, a month before your next vest, you don't really receive any of that value that you, for that, those five months. Um, so those are all things that you kind of have to be aware of. Um, but unfortunately, those aren't things you can really negotiate. Uh, I, I, I've never tried, but I don't think you can. It's pretty standard. Um, so that's something you just have to kind of be aware of and, and consider that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And each each company may have a, a different vesting schedules you're mentioning. Yeah, that's a good point. So, uh, you know, definitely as you're evaluating, if you're lucky enough to be uh, offered an RSU uh, comp uh, uh, package, then definitely check to see what what the vesting schedule is there, uh, and and also worth thinking about what the price. Uh, I mean. Nobody, at least in my personal humble opinion, I don't know what the future holds, uh, but it's it's also worth just kind of getting a a, a sense of what you think the the variability in the price because as you say, you know if it's uh, you know four years down the line, who knows what the price is going to be? But if you're talking about a company that's highly volatile. That uh, can be a, a a lot of risk that you may be taking on, and especially if this makes up a good portion of your overall pay. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we can kind of, that kind of leads us into the next kind of topic or at least maybe about strategies there. But um, just before we kind of do that, I think we could kind of clarify what the the vesting schedule might mean. So, you know, I kind of mentioned that, you know, four years would um, would vest 25. I said, you know, divided by four and that's your annual compensation. That assumes there's like an even 25% vesting each year, but not all companies do that. Um, I'd say it's probably the most common, but that's I don't. That's not. I would agree. I think it's most common. You probably have a better. Yeah, you would obviously have a better uh, visibility into that. But yeah, some companies. I guess what is the second most common? More like a back weighted, right, or something. It's. I don't Mm. know. I imagine it's more back weighted, right? It's. It's well. I don't like something like where maybe it's like twenty percent, twenty percent, thirty thirty, or something like that. Where basically the you know later years you get a higher amount. But I don't. Do you see the opposite? Do you see like a, a front or higher um, vesting in earlier years? I have seen that. Yeah, I have seen uh-huh. that where, where it starts to trail off. And then they they have, depending on the role, maybe they'll have uh, annual what's called refreshers where they'll mm-hmm. go in and, and give you another a grant of right. uh, shares. So, um, yeah, I mean, you could do 35% uh, percent in, in, in one year and then 30 and then 20. And, and so it can kind of trail off there. Um, I think it really depends on the... Um, the, yeah, the, the, the goals of the company and what they're trying to achieve. Um, mm-hmm. And then if, if refresher grants is, is part of the norm or um, because there definitely are a lot of folks that I talk to in certain types of roles where maybe it's just the hiring grant they receive and they have no 
visibility uh, in, in there ever being another grant coming their way unless they move, um, which I think is important to point out too that historically, and, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, uh, historically, the hiring grant has been probably the biggest. Yeah, probably, I would imagine. So, um, you know, I, I don't have a ton of data points here uh, personally. Um, I think it can be, usually is, because again, it, it's a, it's, it can be a substantial part of your, you know, your total compensation. And then, you know, you know, I think companies that do provide uh, RSUs as part of the initial grant or initial compensation, they will often utilize them as well to to increase your compensation as part of maybe your annual performance review or so, something like that. So um, oftentimes companies will give you an increase in base salary, um, which is, you know, your, you know, your paycheck essentially every month or every, you know, every other week or something. But also they will also use RSUs as a way to provide an increase to your total compensation for the same reason, which is, again, it's, it's easier for them to come up with, you know, to, to kind of essentially create shares in RSUs than it is to come up with cash. So oftentimes um, you, you can receive uh, additional RSUs as part of your kind of annual merit increase. And those usually also have a four-year um, grant schedule, four-year kind of vesting schedule as well. So they kind of start getting layered and um, tacked on and stuff like that, excuse me. And uh, so, yeah, that, that's something to, to be aware of. Typically, I think like those don't usually have a cliff, or at least, you know, in my experience, those don't necessarily have a cliff because um, you've probably already worked there for some period of time. Um, and so, mm -hmm. so yeah. Um, yeah. The aim is, is, is to just continue to keep, keep you there, keep you going. Uh, yeah. But see, I, I don't like you mentioned, maybe you mentioned this already, or maybe it was previously about this concept of it kind of keeping you stuck to the company's retention or golden, golden handcuffs and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think of it, I guess, like, I think it's easy to, to look at the, think about the total value of all the grants that you kind of have that will vest in the future. But I think what really matters is how much it's going to invest every year, you know, like what is your next year's compensation, right? Because, um, you know, if you were to move to another company, um, presumably they would try to match or, or beat your current compensation and stuff like that. And so I think of it as, um, it, it, yeah, I think of it just kind of think about how much each year do you, do you think, um, it will provide, um, rather than focusing on the total dollar value, which, you know, um, and again, the total dollar value is always subject to whatever the stock market prices that, that share as, which is, yeah, maybe that kind of leads us to the next topic of like, you know, what are some strategies or what should people do in terms of when they receive them? Um, yeah, before we get there, I wanted to just chat, uh, chat about the, the taxation of of this and the, me the mechanics. So, as as you had mentioned, these are uh, it's it's almost an extension of cash compensation there because mm -hmm. as your shares vest and and the shares are delivered, that's uh, taxed as what we call compensation income. That's a little different than ordinary income because that includes FICA taxes, so your Social Security, your Medicare, um, in addition to federal and state tax if you live in a, a, a state that has a state tax, state income tax. So uh, it, it can be quite, quite substantial. Um, and there is a very common, I wouldn't say trap, but just a thing that folks should be aware of if they do have these, uh, depending on your total income for the year, the amount that is withheld at 
time that you are receiving them at vest may not be enough to cover the overall tax due. So you may end up owing more taxes as well. And you may, may actually end up having to pay estimated quarterly taxes as well. So uh, not something to gloss over. That's, that, that can be a big, a big item for folks. Yeah. And that is typically, well, I think it's a common question that I hear from, from coworkers who are especially who, who, who recently joined or maybe the first time working and receiving RSUs is that it, it is a lot, it's a little bit extra work, right? I think if you've never received RSUs, you know, if you fill out your, was it your W-4 and you, you know, you, you feel, they ask you how many jobs you have, are you married? Like it does a pretty good job making sure that um, at the end of the year, unless you have some, you know, very unique tax situation, you probably are, are owed a refund of some sort, you know? I think that's kind of how those forms are, are designed to, to work out. And for most people, that's probably good, right? Um, it allows them to make sure that they don't, they don't have to come up with a bunch of money during tax uh, filing. But yeah, if you, if, and when you, if you receive RSUs, like you said that um, for, I don't know what the, re- the rationale behind it is, but from a federal level, the withholding on RSU compensation, it, it's considered supplementary wages and mm-hmm. that's withheld at 22%. Um, so under a million dollars. Yep. Under a million. Okay. 37% so, if you make over a million. Yeah. So, um, so really just to, so it depends on your own tax situation. You know, 22% could be, could be greater than your kind of marginal tax rate, or it could be a lot less. And so you may end up owing taxes at the end of the year, or you may get a large refund. It really depends on your tax situation, but unfortunately it doesn't. Um, so you do have to be aware of, of it. And I think we probably owe our, our listeners a future episode on, on sort of just general taxation and, you know, how to calculate estimated quarterly taxes. Uh, because yeah, I think I guess something yeah to be aware of is that if you, if you owe a lot of taxes, um, you are supposed to kind of understand that throughout the year and not just pay the amount you need by the end, by tax filing time, it's actually mm-hmm. pay the right amount throughout the each quarter. Um, so you kind of need to calculate your taxes like throughout the year as an ongoing basis. Um, there are some methods too of, of um, you know, avoiding kind of penalties and interest. If you, you know, I guess, you know, pay a certain percentage based on your past year's income and certain, you know, things, but yeah, depending on what your situation is, um, you may need to do that. And so that it can be a little bit of a challenge and it's not very fun, you know, but it, it is, it is something to be aware of. Yeah. And just to give folks uh, awareness, you know, that 22% you mentioned, um, that is the third lowest, uh, tax bracket out of the seven that we have at the time of this recording. So it, it, it's just, it's kind of weird that that's, uh, sort of just what I consider an arbitrary line of the sand that Congress had pointed out and said, this is the amount we're going to be withholding on, uh, not just uh, any supplemental wages, as you mentioned, but it's, it's not just, uh, equity and RSUs. It's also bonuses as well. So, um, yeah, it could, it could be, uh, substantially lower, uh, depending on what your overall tax, uh, uh, situation looks like. So, um, yeah, like you had mentioned, probably would, would be good for a future episode to, uh, for us to dive in a little bit more on estimated taxes and maybe with things to consider there, but, uh, safe to say that if you are receiving this, um, you know, 
uh, yeah, like you're pointing out, you may end up owing uh, uh, more in, in terms of penalties if you're not getting ahead of this. And so maybe worth consulting a tax professional to to get that right. Um, I also want to give an example. So on the on the state side, uh, just just for folks that live in California. Um, their withholding rate, their supplemental withholding rate is 10.23%. Again, just seems sort of random out of thin air, um, but that is the third highest uh, bracket. So it's interesting out of, uh, let's see here, two, four, six, eight, nine, ten brackets, so to speak, because you've got the 13.3. Uh, so so it's not uncommon for folks, especially if they're not earning over a million dollars to be uh, okay on the state side if you're in California and, and oh, quite, can be quite a bit on the federal side. So yeah. anyways, it's, it's quite a, a rabbit hole that we go down, but it's it's important to note that, uh, you know, mechanically, the, the default option is that the, the company will be selling shares on your behalf. And so you may receive the net amount when these things vest. Um, and then when that happens, that still may not wash your hands of any taxes due. You're going to have to think about that and, and, uh, and, and understand exactly what that, that could mean in your situation. Yeah. And I just want to reiterate to make sure everyone understands that, like, uh, we're talking about the, the rate of withholding, um, and how that can be different than actually the amount that you owe, um, or that yeah, because the, the, the RSU income is is treated the same way as any other um, income, and it's taxed the same way. It's just the the, the withholding rate applied to it um, is just different, um, unfortunately. And so the interesting thing that happens is that when you uh, invest, you're going to be paying, you know. Uh, important to point out, what, what are you paying taxes on? Well, you receive shares. You multiply the shares that you, you receive times the fair market value at the date of the vest. And so that, you know, that could, depending on what you do with it, and this could be a segue into this, the, the more strategy side of things, but if you ended up selling immediately, your your basis, the cost basis, what you paid for it is equivalent to the fair market value at the date of vest times the amount of shares that vested. So your uh, the tax burden, if you immediately sell, could be very minimal, especially if the price movement is is intraday and it's not really moving around. Well, granted, there could be a, a crazy day where you vest and you pay it at a certain point and then it, it, it could be moving around and there might be a, a capital gain or loss. But um, important to point out, if you're to hold, Okay, in that scenario, you're going to be, uh, like I say, capital gain or loss. And then the, the, the measuring stick is going to be the date of vest. So in other words, how do you qualify for long-term capital gains, which are more favorable on the federal side? Um, it can be in certain states as well. Um, it's, it's over a year. So um, a year and a day, and you'll qualify for that long-term capital gains. Anything before that would be short-term capital gain or loss. Yeah, I think if we give an example, it might help to make it really clear. So, for sure. instance, you know, let's say you receive, um, make it real simple, one share, you know, um, and that share is worth $100, basically, right, when that vests. So, essentially, you, you owe, um, norm, like, um, you know, you owe tax on that $100 of income, regardless of what you choose to do with that share, whether you sell it now, immediately afterwards, or you hold it forever, you owe that $100, you owe tax on that $100. And that's just taxed at kind of ordinary income rates. Um, so equivalent to any, you know, your paycheck and your salary. 
now yeah so that but then yeah you're right so now that you've paid tax um on that 100 dollars, that is now your your kind of your cost basis for any future sales so if you were to then immediately sell it for 100 dollars, um you know your sale price is 100 your cost base is 100 there's there's no capital gains right but if you were to wait until and sell it for you know let's say 150 dollars, that's a 50 dollar capital gain um that you that you pay taxes on, and again, if like you said, if you if you held that for more than a year, that's that capital is a consistent a long term capital gain, which is taxed at a reduced rate. Versus if you you know um, sell it uh, sooner than one year, it's that capital gain is a short term capital gain, which is taxed at income rates. But I think what's important to to just to I want to emphasize that you're already paying, you're always paying, you know, normal income rates up to what up to, of that one hundred dollars. Um, and so um, you're just talking about any additional gain after that in terms of whether that's short-term or long-term capital gains. Mm-hmm. And you know, so if, if, it, if, the, if the share price goes up to 110, we're really only talking about that $10 as a capital gain rather than that full 110. So some folks can, can potentially confuse that that would be a double taxation. And no, it's just dependent on any value that you receive. And same to be said on the downside too. So if, on, if it's worth $90, there's a, a capital loss of, of $10. Um, important to also note the wash sale rule, which... Uh, you know, could be a little bit complex to figure, you know, get your, your head wrapped around, particularly as it relates to RSUs. But if you have a um, a vest that, hap- if, if you're vesting shares and, you, and you've held onto shares, and let's say that those shares are worth $90, as we were talking about, and you're going to be vesting shares um, within 61 days of you potentially selling at a loss, that loss, that $10 loss, could potentially be disallowed because a vest is treated as a purchase in the eyes of the IRS. So it can get really muddied, uh, muddied waters. And so basically, if to play that scenario out, any, uh, uh, any of the basis would already lost would be carried over to whatever the new vested shares uh, uh, are. And so uh, eventually you can unlock that, but it just... Uh, and sort of at the time of this recording, we have experienced a market where tech stocks and, and uh, stock market in general has just declined quite a bit since its its highs, the 52 weeks highs. So uh, there can be scenarios where folks are holding on um, or they have to sell. Um, yeah, so, so, so maybe I guess without going too far into to the weeds on that one, oh, I guess moving into more of the, the strategy side, like what what are some... Pros and cons of selling immediately. Let's start there. Maybe that, I think that might be the most straightforward of, of all of the options, right? Sure. Um, yeah, good question. I think the first thing to, to kind of note is you usually can't, well, not usually, but uh, depends. You may not be able to sell immediately um, because, like I said, there are typically very specific uh, trading windows that are available to employees of when they can I guess buy or sell um, their stock. Um, you, you know, you can buy stock uh, at your own company if you choose to, but it has to be in that trading window. Um, whereas your the dates that um, the stock vests may not be in one of those trading windows. So it, you know, in my in my experience, you know, 
uh, people join companies at any given time in a year, right? And so oftentimes a very first grant will, will kind of that vesting schedule will not kind of line up very neatly with the trading window. But um, oftentimes those annual reviews or and refresher grants are usually scheduled to line up within a trading window. But, you know, Mirage may vary. Um, so I think, they, they, yeah, the first strategy is to kind of sell av- everything as soon as you can, I think, you know, and I think that's a pretty simple strategy. And, Personally, it's the one that I, I recommend and I subscribe to. Um, and I, I think of it purely as, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer of, of diversifying my investments as much as possible. And I primarily, you know, invest through index funds, which is holding many, 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 many companies. And so um, when I'm given stock, which is a significant amount of money in just a single company, I, I want to diversify that. And so typically I, I do want to sell as, as soon as possible. Um, but, you know, it's, I don't think it's the only or the right thing to do. I think I would caution for against people holding a significant portion of their net worth in a single company stock, regardless if it's a company you work for or any other company. So I think um, I would caution people against doing that. But uh, yeah, I'm curious to hear what what you recommend, or what are some of your maybe what you recommend your clients, and and how do you what are some of the strategies that you're kind of find re- reasonable? Yeah, I mean, it's this is a, a, basically if you choose to hold, you're saying that you would go out if you received a cash bonus, and you would go out and buy the, the shares at the current uh, stock price. And so, that, to, to me, there, there's no difference there. Um, some folks uh, are in that camp, and they do want to do that, or they do want to hold and, and just do nothing. Um, there definitely is a, a fair amount of, of folks that I talk to who, who come to me, and they haven't done anything with their shares. Um, you know, maybe sold a handful here or there for different goals that they may have. But um, yeah, I think yeah, the the, the most straightforward uh would potentially be to to sell immediately but that could go again against what people's natural inclination particularly in a scenario where the 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 market is down uh quite a bit from where from where it was so folks could have recency bias of the stock was worth uh in some cases double or or maybe even triple um you know or, or good amount and I'm. Am I selling right now? I'm locking in that. That uh, some folks just kind of almost like the uh, uh, ostrich. You know, you just put your head in the sand, and they don't really want to count it or think about it. And at some point, that that's that's sort of their either a goal fund that they've got or retirement fund or whatever. And uh, rightfully so, you bring up the point of of having all of your eggs in one basket and, and that not necessarily being the best, uh, uh, you know, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of potential volatility in one stock versus in many stocks. So, um, yeah, I guess, I guess the perceived con would be, Oh, I'm selling at a point if my stock is worth not as much as it, what it once was or, or what this price graph that I, many people look at, they, they see, uh, Oh, I could have gotten this. And so there, there could be a lot of FOMO factor fear of missing out of, 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 uh, an increase. Yeah. And I think that's valid. Um, you know, I think, so if someone wants to hold a, a small percentage, you know, I think of a small percentage of it and not sell, I think that's reasonable. I think something to keep in mind though, is 
as an employee, you really still are benefit due to the nature of a four year grant, usually how everything is granted, you are benefiting from an increase in in stock value over time. So in my example of, you know, let's say you received um let's say one hundred thousand um, uh, dollars um four year grant. So let's say a simple um you know, investing schedule of twenty five percent each year. So let's say in uh year four, you know, in year one. At the, at, with, if the stock is worth a hundred dollars during during that entire time, you'll receive twenty five thousand dollars, you know, worth of shares. But if the if the company's stock has has grown, you know, quite a bit, maybe ten percent each year, whatever, something like that, then that you know the, the the value of that stock that you would have received will receive is actually a lot more. Like if the share price was ten dollars um, when you first received that grant. In that share now, the price is now worth fifteen dollars. That twenty five thousand dollars is actually going to be worth, you know, fifty percent more. And so, just by the nature of getting these four year grants, which almost all um, RSU awards are, you are participating in getting the benefit of that increased stock price. Um, so, you know, you're not completely, you're not missing out on it at all. But you know, certainly it's, you know, it's not the same as if you just held on to all of it, which. You know, you can never really know which way the stock market is going. That's kind of why we, you know, like to diversify. And, you know, especially recently, you know, I think, I guess by nature of getting RSUs, you probably work at a tech company and tech companies do tend, I think, tend to be a little bit more volatile. I don't have any numbers to back this up, but they tend to be pretty volatile. And, you know, during the pandemic, some, um, you know, did, you know, some had a really rough ride, some were the real big highs and lows, right? Um, you know, and so I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's personally, I, I, I try to mit, try to operate under minimizing regret. Like what is, what, what can I do to, to reduce the chance that I really regret making a, a, a decision? Um, and for me, that, that is, that's selling as much as I can, as, as soon as I can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think regret's also tied with, with, with maybe making a, an investment mistake of just being over-concentrated and and maybe missing the boat. I mean, there could just be fundamental shifts in the company that a new new uh, competitor. I mean, there's so many different ways you can look at it. A new competitor comes into the marketplace and dislodges and takes away market share, and and now the the company has to pivot. And what if their pivot doesn't work? Or or you know, there's there's all sorts of, of ways that you can think about it. Um, the other thing too is, oh, I work here, so I know more information than maybe the average retail investor, and and so. I uh, I think it's I think it's got certain price. I, as you were talking, I was I was thinking about different clients who have wanted to to keep the shares and and not divest, um, despite my recommendation to do so. Uh, I'll give you one scenario. So let's let's keep keep going with the, the example that you've got. So it was at ten dollars a share. I think when you, when it was granted, it went up to fifteen. Uh, let's say now it's seven dollars. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, uh, you know, they're, they're thinking, well, I'm not even, uh, you know, I'm not even at the $10. That's not too far away from the $10. I want to hold at least till, I want to at least get the grant amount there that I, that I, that I potentially had, um, which is, I think, faulty and, and dangerous logic. Um, or, you know, they've got, so basically what I'm saying is they have certain price targets that they have in their mind that they're mm-hmm. anchored to, whether it be the $10 uh, in some cases, whether it be the $15, so I'm going to wait. I don't have an immediate gold or a need for the dollars. Um, certainly, if you are on, the, if you have a goal or a need for the dollars uh, and it's occurring in, in relatively short order, you know, definitely make sure you're, you're 
being more conservative and, and taking that off the table and not trying to, to, to gamble with this money that you may need. Um, another one is not to pick on the younger folks, but, but let's say you're just out of college and I, and I've had this multiple, t- multiple times client comes in, they don't have a set, uh, a, a set goal at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, they just got out of college. They just got this new grant, or maybe they're a year or two out of college. They have these grants of vesting and they, uh, retirement is the furthest thing from their mind potentially. And they don't have a family. They don't have any goal to, they just want to optimize. That's, that's what they want to do. They want to make sure they maximize their money. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, again, in the scenario where that person is receiving shares that are now worth $7 when they were worth $15 or, you know, granted at $10 and a lot of volatility, especially on the heels of a historic run, a bull market run. Uh, yeah, th- there are definitely those folks out there that that feel compelled to keep the shares yeah. and see along. And I think the problem with that is... Yeah, the shares are very well likely will will return to ten dollars, but how long will that take? Um, and what is the opportunity cost of that? Right? I mean, it, you're you should always be, you know, comp- you know, you're not shouldn't be considering it in a vacuum. You should be comparing it to what is the alternative, right? The alternative is to, well, there's you could buy it and sell some other stock, right? At least you should consider that, right? You know, why hold a company stock? Why not look at every other stock on the public stock market? Or, you know, obviously what I would recommend is buying an index fund. So, you know, if, if, if it takes, you know, whatever, five years to return to, to $10, well, maybe the rest of the stock market would have, you know, would have get, gotten you that effective return in, in three years, right? And so it's, um, I think people shouldn't probably put a particular price target on a on a stock. I think it's you know analysts do that, and I don't think they do a particularly good job at it either. So I wouldn't recommend any individual do that. Um, but I think again, like I think I think personally, the one important thing to do is to come up with. A, a, I want to call it strategy, because a plan. I think it's the word, a plan. Come up with a plan of how and when you're going to sell your stock. And again, I'd recommend selling usually more. And maybe if you want to hold some, hold a small amount. But come up with some definitive plan, maybe, and probably write it down, you know, um, and make it so it's easy to, to execute, right? Um, where there's not a lot of subjectivity in it, right? Don't say, if it goes up, sell like, or whatever, like, you know, be very concrete in it, you know, and again, I, I probably wouldn't make it dependent on the stock price at all, actually. But, you know, let's say, for instance, when the stock, when the trading window opens, I sell 90% of the shares that I have. Like, that's very simple and easy to execute, easy to follow. I think the, the simpler it is, um, the more likely you're going to follow through with it. I think if you make it complicated or you make it very up to interpretation or, you know, again, like, you, you know, all this, these factors, oh, I think we just had a bad quarter and all these things. And it's very easy to just not follow through with even a, a reason, you know, of any plan. And so you kind of left in maybe, um, per, you know, a decision paralysis, which I think the worst. Because you'd probably end up with just not selling anything. Yeah. And, and let's, you know, again, considering that, that example, you've got, let's say it was up $15, it, you know, it was granted at $10. Now it's at $7. Um, when it, let's say when it vested, you were, this is sort of a doomsday scenario, but you vested it at 15, you held on to it. It's now worth seven. Uh, and, and let's say that 
it ended up being where you had to pay taxes on the $15 a share rather than the seven. So uh, come tax time or when you might need to make that quarterly estimated tax payment, you might have to sell more shares because you didn't sell enough to begin with in order to, 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 you know, satisfy that, that tax liability. So that could be a really tough spot to be in uh, just because you're sort of waiting around to see a better price come around. And, and, and I've seen this time and time again, where, okay, hey, maybe it goes up to eight or $9. Maybe it goes up to maybe $11 or $12. And it's like, nope, I still, you know, hey, the, 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 it's like the, the goalposts are now moving uh, with the share price as well. And so, okay, well, I'm, I'm actually going to wait until it's, uh, you know, 15. So I totally, you know, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir. I totally agree with your, your approach and, and having something that's very easily executed and, and, and you can, you know, regardless. And I think the key here too, that you're mentioning is, uh, you know, if you're to sell 90% and save 10, cause you want to still maintain some, some sort of shares for the long term and, and believe in the company and so forth, even though you're receiving perhaps more and more shares, uh, you know, every quarter or, or year as they're continuing to best. Um, but you're turning around and investing that those shares, that 90% uh, minus any taxes that you may need, minus anything from for any goals that are in the shorter term, you're turning around and, and immediately reinvesting that. So it's not like you're just just capturing the gain or loss and that's it. It's just sitting in cash. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah, another thing I'll I'll mention is um you know, I think a, another good way a good plan is if not all companies offer this or it may not be is available to maybe create a lot of work to set up, but some companies offer kind of what's called like automated trading plans. Um and I think they can vary in, in the amount of paperwork required to set them up, but uh like, like it's called a 1005 B105 B1, I believe it's called 10B51. 10.5? No. Oh, 10.5 B1. Yeah, yeah. 105 B1. B1. Okay, 10.5 yeah. B1. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's probably some IRS code or something. It, exactly. I got it right. Actually, SEC code. Yeah. Oh, SEC. Um, and basically, it allows you to um, kind of create a, a plan. Like, literally, like, like I said, you write down this plan. You have to kind of, you know, work with the the, the brokerage that, that handles the shares to write this plan out. But once you kind of finalize the plan... You, you can't change it. And um, typically they run for like a year at a time. I mean, it might be able to write one that goes longer, but, and it's really nice because someone else does executes the plan for you, you know, like, so even if, you know, you write your own plan of sell 90%, you know, keep 10%. Well, you know, if you forget to do it yourself or um, you just, you know, have, you know, second, you know, second thoughts on that day, you might not do it with a trading plan. It will happen for you um, and you can't stop it and you can't change your mind halfway through. I mean, maybe there are some very specific, but it's really meant to um, keep you from doing that. And they're kind of designed around uh, uh, ind individuals or employees who, you know, work in, in such part of the company where they might um, hold well, I, I guess I'm not quite sure. Actually, I don't. I feel like it's designed for people that hold uh, non-public material information. But yet, I feel like I'm. I think that all the messaging is still saying you're still not supposed to sell if you held. I don't know. But it's basically to kind of shield uh, the person from any potential 
wrongdoing because they they sold on some information but you know the idea is that if they've they decided a long time ago they were going to sell at this given time and they didn't you know so what doesn't really matter what they know because um they're not acting on it and they can't act on it because they've already kind of predetermined long in advance when are they going to be selling and stuff like that so that's kind of the where they came from and the problem they're solving but i think it's also a good problem for or it solves a problem for people who just you know may like to have something automated where they don't need to remember to sell every three months um don't need to don't need to have that discipline to do it they just set it up once and just let it go on autopilot Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's a a great a great plan to to establish for those in that in that case yeah and so uh typically too if if you're in a role where you have access to material non-public information uh the the legal team um, we'll let you know, and there might be some more specific restrictions around there. And so that's why a plan like this is quite attractive. And sometimes even within those, those restrictions, you're still able to sell uh, off based on this plan that you've developed there. So, um, yeah, it definitely can can be uh, quite quite attractive. Um, and then you've got those dollars, and again, they're, they're free for you to use in whatever shape that you'd like. So... You, yeah. still might, you still you might still might owe more taxes on them, so <laughs> be careful. Yeah, yeah, don't spend them all. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yep, don't go to Vegas. So uh, put it all in black. Um, yeah. So so definitely, there's a lot of different nuances um, uh, in in terms of equity compensation. Broadly speaking, restricted stock units are fairly straightforward. But as you've seen over the last, you know. 50 minutes or so that they're not necessarily as straightforward as a company just gives you stock and then you can sell, hold, or do whatever you know you want with it because it's yours. But um, there's there's a lot of different uh, twists and turns that you need to consider. Um, any other sort of closing remarks, Lauren, on, on your end about uh, RSUs and maybe what folks should take away? There's nothing else that I need to cover. Yeah, a lot of a lot of great springboards from this conversation. Um, as as we had chatted before the starting of of this recording, a great great book that I highly recommend, and I know Lauren does as well. Is "Consider Your Options" by Kay Thomas. Um, that's his last name, right? I do not know. I just know yeah. it as Fairmark Press, as like Fairmark publisher, Press. I believe. Yep. Yeah. Um, We'll put it in the show notes uh, for this episode for folks, but um, it, it's a great sort of uh, in English guide to not just RSUs, other types of equity compensation, but it does show you a lot of the mechanics and some pitfalls and things you might want to look out for uh, that goes into far more depth than, than we have uh, in, in this in this chat, but does so in, in a lighter, uh, uh, easier to read rather than just combing through IRS code and so forth. So um, definitely if you have, uh, I think that's the biggest takeaway on my end is, is educate yourself of what you are receiving. If you, and, and if you are fortunate enough to have received uh, uh, RSUs, yeah, just, just get a better handle and, and continue to do some research and, and, uh, and go, go from there. So I would say also maybe ask questions too. Like I think, especially if you're getting RSUs of a public company and, you know, you get a job offer, the recruiter, if you have questions, the recruiter should be able to explain it to you. And I think it's um, it's not quite, you know, it's not like getting stock options in a private company where they're giving you some crazy valuation of where they think they'll be in 10 years. You know, like the, the information the recruiter giving you about the value of the RSUs you're getting should be pretty 
cut and dry. So, you know, you should trust, trust them, I think. Um, but yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. There's going to be somebody at the company that uh, you could probably turn to, even if they're wearing multiple hats, they'll be able to help you or at least point you to a resource, uh, whether through their plan administrator or the brokerage firm they're working with or, or so forth uh, to, to get you more answers. So definitely ask you more questions. So um Anyways, at the risk of, of, of foreshadowing and committing ourselves to a specific topic set, uh, we'll likely be talking about other forms of equity compensation, stock options, and and the like in, in the future. So, um, as always, if you found this helpful, let us know. Uh, or if you didn't find this helpful, I'm, I'm equally curious to let, let us know how we can be uh, of, of more help in these conversations. So, feel free to give us uh, feedback, uh, and that's feedback at maxfinancepodcast.com. Again, feedback at maxfinancepodcast.com. Thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it uh, and look forward to chatting with you all next time. We're a new podcast and it would mean the world to us if you took a moment to write a review in the Apple Podcasts app or share this episode with a friend or family member. We'd like to hear from you. Is there a topic you're interested in? Have feedback more generally? Email us at feedback at maxfinancepodcast.com. Thanks and see you next time.